Hello, welcome to the Law of the Gosh podcast. In this last few days, Trump has made a lot of measures as far as economics and immigration. A lot of these measures have aimed towards Mexico and his uh, United States relation with Mexico. So I thought I would look for someone to talk with and interview from Mexico with a Mexican point of view on how they see Trump and the future of American-Mexican relations. And I was lucky enough to be connected with my guest today, Roberto Mores. And Roberto holds a bachelor's in communications from the University Iberoamericana and a master's degree in public policy from the London School of Economics and Political Science with studies in international commerce from Escuela Libre de Derecho and negotiation at the JFK School of Government at Harvard University. Uh, he has also worked both in the private and public sector in communications and public affairs. He has more than 15 years of experience participating in three presidential campaigns and has provided consulting services to politicians and international companies. He is currently a partner of strategic affairs and communications and public affairs firm. How are you today, Roberto? I'm very, very well, Lalo. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for, for coming on. Is there anything you wanted to add to the introduction about yourself? Uh, I... I've been working in different government agencies during the time. Uh, one, for example, with ProMexico is, is a, a financial uh, institution of the government of Mexico to promote uh, exports and direct investment in the country. So it's really an interesting time for, for those of us who have been on the commercial side of, of Mexico and U.S. relations. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's been interesting. So right this week, um, we saw that, nor well, normally... When there's a new president elected in the U.S., normally they meet with the president of Mexico. And the president of Mexico, Enrique Peña Nieto, turned down his meeting with uh, Trump. Trump tried to save some face and, and say he canceled it for, <laughs> for his own reasons. Uh, <laughs> uh, that looked, uh, you know, interesting <laughs> as far as like, you know, the power dynamics there. Um, so how, how is uh, how is Trump seen in Mexico by the public and uh, politicians in general? Well, I'm sure you could understand that we don't really have the best uh, perspective of the uh, new American president, but uh, he's seen as someone who's who's making decisions uh, irrationally, more on an emotional base, more on a catering to his basis, uh, his political base, than uh, actually with a policy. Uh, mindset. Uh, he appears to be very ignorant about the Mexico-U.S. relationship. Uh, he just kind of tries to implement his stereotype of, of Mexicans as people who are going over to the United States and stealing jobs and stealing jobs from factories, when it's really a much more complex commercial uh, and immigrant relationship than that with the United States. So I think basically what you're showing the world is a great amount of ignorance in the way he takes policy decisions. 
So what things do you think he lacks understanding of? What do you think are the main principles that a president should understand between the relationship between the United States and Mexico? I think there are a lot of like areas you can talk about that. Principally, the economic relationship and the trade relationship, which he loves flaunting, that, you know, Mexico, uh, there's a huge trade deficit with the United States. He really doesn't understand the intricate uh, process that for the last 20 years since NAFTA came in, into place, that the U.S. and Mexico have been developing more than, uh, more than uh, trade of, of finished products, which there, of course, is. There, there's a big supply chain that has been built with the United States, with Mexico, and, and of course, with, with Canada. For example, a lot of the, the things that Americans, that the United States buys from Mexico aren't really finished products, they're components. Uh, thanks to, the, for example, the automotive industry that, that builds components in Mexico so that uh, in Michigan you can manufacture uh, cars, there are approximately 138,000 jobs in Michigan that rely directly on the, the U.S.-Mexico supply chain. So if you look at it that way, really the, the United States is it's selling uh, themselves things so they can be more competitive uh, with their finished products, which they export to, to other places in the world. And Mexico is the United States' third largest trade, trade partner after Canada and after, and after China. And we go to places where people don't know we're even there. For example, Mexico buys 99% of all corn made in Kansas, and that's about a, a 50, 60,000 jobs in a state like Kansas, which most people think the, the commerce is really just among border states, but it's really a lot more far-reaching than, uh, than most people can imagine, and clearly that Mr. Trump wants to acknowledge. And so how do you think if he actually executes the 20% border tax with Mexico, considering that how would it affect Mexico since it's most of the exports from Mexico go to the United States, the overwhelming majority? Um, no, 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 no. I, I think we're about 70% of our exports uh, go, go to the United States. Right. I, I checked before it was about, it's 81% about, if the, mm -hmm. depending on how updated the statistics I saw was. And then below that, it would be Canada, which is 2.8%, right? Exactly. And, and then it's China, 1.3%. Uh, Brazil one percent, so it, it's the main exporter to the United States. It's their it's their main person who buys from them, but that doesn't just put um, Mexico under the United States thumb. That means a lot of the products that go to the United States come from Mexico, and they depend on them as well. So it is a it's not just a one way relationship. No, I mean it would be a lose lose uh, negotiation. Yeah, just one more thing, like the fourth highest. Uh, importer to the United States of crude oil is Mexico, right? So, mm -hmm. so of all the countries that mainly the United States gets their oil from, Mexico is fourth. So they're also I don't I don't know if this is a detail that's in the twenty percent tax that they're going to add to it, but if it if it does include oil, then they're putting a twenty percent you know hike on on oil coming to to their country, which could elevate prices also with oil. No, a 28% tariff on Mexican imports to the United States would raise prices pretty much across uh, the board. It would be, it would be, frankly, more difficult for Mexico due to our dependence on the United States, which is something uh, that I think Mexican politicians haven't really been able to 
to diversify effectively. And and even had Mexico has free trade agreements with over 41 different countries. Uh, it's it's I think it's the the first or the second country with the most uh, trade agreements uh, by blocks or bilateral. And and business was just so well with the United States that uh, entrepreneurs and even the government kind of said, well let's let's just keep selling to to the Americans, which is a historically uh, which is a wrong move, no. But but during but given these circumstances, uh, Mexico would be hit uh, hard. We would of course start diversifying. Uh, we would probably stop buying products from the United States. For, uh, for some of the examples I gave you in, in retaliation, but in the United States, prices would also go up from everything uh, from food and agriculture uh, to beer. Uh, the, mod- the automotive industry would be hit very, very, very hard because they're very dependent on parts um, from Mexico. I think pretty much every state in the United States, uh, Mexico is either the first, the second, or the third largest trading partner from the state. And Hawaii, we're, we're, we're Hawaii's second largest trading partner. So, uh, so it would be very disastrous. And ultimately, the, the person who would be really paying that would be the, the, the consumers. In, in the United States. Now, Mr. Trump says that if, if they applied this, this tariff, that the so-called wall would be financed from this. But what he's not taking into consideration, well, he's, he's considering that even with the 20% tariff, that the trade would be normal, that we would still be selling things to the United States and the United States would still be buying things from us. But I think that's a huge mistake. I think if you put that 20% tariff, uh, a lot of business is going to go elsewhere. So he wouldn't really be getting that fundraising effort that he's trying to that is trying that he's trying to realize with the tariff. Right. So that he's thinking that there's a guarantee that simply Mexico will pay that that tariff when they'll just say, "Well, oh, we'll just sell to someone else." Pretty much, and then that's going to be disastrous for everything. The other thing is that he he really doesn't understand, at least uh, that's what he projects, how international trade works. If NAFTA came down, uh, trade between Mexico and the United States would be regulated by the World Trade Organization, which basically, uh, if you remember, like the U.S. and, and, and Mexico are, uh, they're already across the board tariffs. Uh, it's about 3.5% for all products. Certain sectors have higher, uh, have higher tariffs. I, I'm not really sure which ones uh, apply. But so the default thing would be okay. So if we're not going to have free trade, we have trade at 3.5%, which still makes Mexico an incredibly uh, competitive country in the United States. If you wanted to impose a 20% tariff, it would be in violation of World Trade Organization rules, which would go to court and he would most likely uh, be found guilty of trade violations. Now, it's a very slow process. Uh, It would probably take years in which he could effectively uh, impose a 20% tariff. But it's really, when you look at it like that, it's a no-win situation for Americans or for Mexicans. So let me play devil's advocate a little bit for Trump. Um, so a, a lot of these uh, trade agreements help to to uh, facilitate trade between the countries. However, mm-hmm. this causes an uneven playing field a lot of the time for the United States because, well, okay, you know, Mexico or China or some Singapore or some other country is making a product. Then the United States tries to make that product. And the United States has, you know, higher wages. There's a higher minimum wage. There's uh, syndicates and unions. Well, for example, in Mexico, the unemployment rate is 
pretty low. It's like almost about four percent. Um, and but this, but despite that low unemployment rate, over forty percent of the country lives in uh, under the poverty level, and this is due to the fact that, for example, uh, the minimum wage in Mexico is just above three dollars. So obviously, you can pay the the labor in Mexico and many other countries much less, and then the United States can't compete with that. So the the companies and the the factories move elsewhere. Um, and so, and the trade adds adds to that. So, isn't isn't it, it a this kind of isolation attitude of trying to bring jobs back to the United States because of the and trying to eliminate a lot of these trade agreements, uh, despite the fact that it's going to elevate a lot of uh, the cost of products, will it not bring the jobs back to the United States and more money in people's pocket? You see, that's where I think Mr. Trump has really wrong information. Uh, the jobs, the manufacturing jobs, which are the ones he's advocating for the most in the United States, that the, that American workers are losing, are not due to, to offshoring and to nearshoring near of, of factories. They're due mostly to technology. Uh, I, I wish I could quote the, the source of something I read recently. The, about 80% of manufa manufacturing jobs that are being lost in the United States are uh, lost to the mechanization of processes which is basically robots. And the, the more less complex uh, jobs are, are uh, being, uh, they're being assembled in, in countries like Mexico, like, like China, etc. But that's not really the, the big issue with job loss in the manufacturing sector in the United States. And I think it's something that the U.S. and Mexico, of course, has to really keep in mind that you can't keep training people for, for last century's jobs. You know, the new, who are the new manufacturers? The new manufacturers are, are millennials who are programmers and who are like building this uh, robust infrastructure for automation uh, of drugs. And I think that, that's like the negative image that, that people have of Mexico. There's all their stealing jobs. Not so much. They're really making uh, the United States more competitive in areas where they couldn't be without uh, low, low, lower wages. Uh, an average manufacturing job in Mexico doesn't pay minimum wage. It pays about $15 a day, which is uh, more close to the, to the middle class. And that's mostly in the northern part of the country. The southernmost part of the country where most of that poverty you mentioned is, uh, right now we're trying to, to boost investment, international and national investment there. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a more difficult part of the country. Uh, a lot of um, uh, farmers there who, who have actually lost competitiveness to the United States because of NAFTA, they're they're not so uh, in love with the with the free trade since Mexico is really buying a lot of food and, and agricultural products from the United States because of the productivity. So let me ask you about NAFTA and TPP. So the yeah. Trump has pretty much eliminated now the Trans Pacific Partnership, um, and is I suppose trying to renegotiate the North American Free Trade Agreement. What, what, how do you see these, uh, these agreements and, and trade deals? Are they beneficial to the United States or are they only beneficial to more, or let's say more beneficial to, to Mexico versus the United States? Should they be kept or thrown out? How do you see them? I think overall they're beneficial to, to all three countries who, who are them. Uh, the, the NAFTA block is the biggest consumer block in the world. Uh, it concentrates about 80% 
of of consumption of of GDP. Of course, a great part of that is thanks to, to the United States. So. But Mexico is also a big is also a very big consumer market. The the middle class is getting better. That's why migration has dropped so much. Oh, Canada is, is is also doing very well here. So, I think I think renegotiating NAFTA is perfectly rational and responsible and, and, and normal. Well, the, the, I think the, the economy is a lot different than it was 20 years ago. I think there are things Mexico could have better conditions. I think there are things the United States could have better conditions. For example, uh, one of the things that, that the United States wants to wants to renegotiate and, and review are the rules of origin, which states that uh, if I'm going to build uh, a component for an automobile, a certain percentage of the parts that go into that component have to be either from Mexico, from the United States, or, or from Canada, uh, versus parts that Mexican companies import from China to, to build a component and send it to the United States, which is fine. I think there's, there, there are things that, that can be reviewed there. But I, I think the approach that Trump is taking, uh, the all-or-nothing approach, is just really sad and, frankly, kind of petty. I think there's a lot that can be done to, to make the deal better uh, for everyone. But just the approach, you know, the the all or none, I think it's very offensive to a country that's been a really a, a very good neighbor. And that's just like in the, in the economic part. Uh, on security issues, Mexico has always, always been very cooperative with the United States. Uh, and on immigration, that's just a whole other ballgame there. You know? Well, let me ask you about immigration with... Um with the wall that he wants to build that is estimated to cost uh, $15 billion. Um, and yeah. Enrique Peña Nieto has come out saying he's against it. Uh, Vicente Fox, the ex-president of uh, of Mexico, has been very outspoken against Trump. And he's, they, they've all said many times that there's they, Mexico has no intention of paying for that wall in any way. I hear a lot of people saying that, well, there are ways to force uh, Mexico to pay for it. What is your opinion on that? I think the United States has the right to build whatever it wants on its territory. Uh, from a policy perspective, I think the wall is going to be the biggest waste of money that the United States has ever made. If, like you said, the cost between 15 and $25 billion and approximately $7 billion a year uh, to maintain, which is just beyond anything that I've ever heard before. And there are just so many facts. Uh, the, the Homeland Security, uh, the new Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, I, I can't recall his name, but he's a, a general, he basically said that the wall isn't going to work. That you, what you need is uh, a layered system for, for border control. So, uh, most illegal, undocumented immigrants that go in the United States, uh, they arrive there on a plane. They overstay their visas. Uh, very few now really cross the the border the way that that Hollywood makes us think we do in tunnels and, and and things like that, right? So so that that just per se is, is just wrong. Well, let me also play devil's advocate. There is that from even if the majority of people of illegal immigrants are there in the United States because they overstayed a visa. But there's still a, a percentage of people who are crossing at the border. So if you control that, you're still factoring down a portion, a significant portion of the illegal immigrants coming to the United States. And also, the, the ones that uh, come by crossing the border, 
stay in bordering in uh, parts of the U.S. bordering cities, and so those cities are the most affected by the Ill illegal immigration. So wouldn't that be good enough reason to try to control more of the border? I think that's a good enough reason to try to control more of the border. But a wall would just be overreaching. I mean, mm -hmm. if you want to invest $25 billion to $7 billion a year to curtail the, the, the smaller end of the, of the immigration route, it's just, it's just a bad investment, uh, if you look at it that way, right? Uh, it's more, I think it's, uh, Trump is behind that more for a symbolic purpose than for anything else. I think that there, there are other ways you can secure a border with human resources with higher technology that doesn't really uh, imply building a huge trend. And the, the thing that, that bothers Mexicans most is this idea that he's held to the American public that we're going to pay for it. We're not. There's absolutely no way that he can make us pay for it. He can raise uh, tariffs on, on the border, but ultimately, like we, we're talking about, uh, the U.S. consumer is going to take a hard hit there, and Mexico is going to lose money, but not it's not going to go to the United States. That money lost is ultimately going to find uh, its way somewhere else. We'll start buying from other countries. Uh, other countries will start selling to the United States. I'm sure that China could pick up on that, on on the imports that the things that the U.S. is importing from Mexico. So it's not really a plausible idea for the United States to to pay for that. Well, if he builds it. Uh, it will be effective to a certain point, but not really worth the $25 billion he, he wants to spend it. And mostly when immigration is down, it, 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 it's at a historic low. In 40 years, it's never been this low. Right now, uh, the net immigration from Mexico is, is basically zero, which basically means for, for every person crossing the border uh, in an undocumented manner in the United States, uh, you have one coming back. It might even be in negative numbers. Now, thanks to a better economic situation in Mexico. So if you build a wall and you tax 20% uh, on Mexican imports and you ruin the Mexican economy, uh, you're probably going to be increasing the flow uh, of immigrants in the United States and that wall really isn't going to do much uh, about it. Uh, I kind of want to know about the, the, the political situation in Mexico. Um, so <laughs> Enrique Piña Nieto has the lowest approval rating in his presidency and apparently it's the lowest in Mexican history <laughs> at 12% and this was this is not just because of uh yeah and, and there, there are actually people who think he's in single digits so yeah he, he's doing very bad uh well and his his um the low approval rating isn't just because of how he his you know um international politics with the US lately it's also because of very high uh oil prices and gasoline prices in in uh in Mexico and there's been rioting and protests uh, against the the high prices so what's going on mm -hmm. there with uh, how mu how much of it is it a factor of the new Trump presidency or just is it mistakes made by the current president I think I think Mr. Peña Nieto has low numbers, thanks to himself. Mm -hmm. And also, the way he handled the Trump visit during the elections in Mexico was disastrous. And But he already had low numbers there, so it's not like he can scapegoat his way out of this and say, oh, people don't like me because of Trump. So there's no way. He, he has to, he has to, how do you say, man up and accept that his presidency has been a complete 
a disaster or anything, this is a, a, a very important opportunity for him to, to kind of bounce back uh, at least a little bit uh, in the way he handles this, this international situation. I think uh, the situation we have in Mexico is that all the political parties are, are collaborating with him so we can find a, a good solution for the problem. Uh, just as a fact, Andres Manuel López Obrador, who is probably President Peña's largest critic and political opponent, uh, he ran against him in the last election and almost beat him. Uh, just two days ago, said that he's completely uh, backing the president in whatever negotiations he does with the United States, as, as well as other uh, political parties. No, so, so in that sense, uh, Mexico, its politics are very articulated in order to find a, a solution. Uh, domestically, we have big political drifts, and, and more than anything, very low credibility in the whole political system, because they've been doing really uh, terrible things these last so I, I wanted to mention a kind of parallel I've seen w with Trump uh, lately, that he seems very similar as far as his personality with Hugo Chavez. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a lot of similarities in how he is very kind of narcissistic, um, not the most uh, well-read or educated person on, on many topics, uh, uh, not that well-spoken. He's very hard on his opponents and loves to be praised and loved by the public. But on top of the similarity as far as his personality, I also notice, while before I thought they were very kind of polar opposites in economics, one to the right and one to the left, I do see now some similarities in economics that uh, Chavez was kind of an isolationist, was vindictive towards towards countries like uh, the United States with oil prices, um, Although there there are things that are very different, obviously that they're not similar at all. You know, Chavez would just uh, blanketly take over uh, certain institutions or companies, um, organizations, and just make them uh, governmental and under his power. I doubt Trump would do that kind of thing, but I do see that the the United States is moving towards a kind of more economic isolationism uh, that would lead, similar to Venezuela, to inflated prices. Want to know what, what do mm -hmm. you think? Do you think that's going to probably be the the outcome for the United States in years to come? I, I think the greatest uh, the the greatest thing you could help you can do to help these people is, is when is when you say I doubt he'll do that. So I think all of Venezuela when Chavez started taking these measures, like oh I can't believe he's doing that. So I think from from the get go you, you have to you have to understand that there are patterns of populist governments which Mr. Trump is. He, is, is following. Uh, the first one is always uh, to isolate uh, a common a common enemy, right? So in this case, it would be it would be immigrants, and it, it would be Mexican immigrants and, and Muslims, basically. You know? So he's already isolated the common enemy, like Mr. Chavez did with, with, when the common enemy was the United States, or when Mr. Hitler uh, named the Jews. You know? So you have policies towards those people. Then you have the interior enemy, which is of the of the majority class, the people who oppose those policies. Those those policies become uh, like the second enemy, which you're already seeing with Mr. Trump bashing, for example, uh, the media or any people who uh, oppose what they're saying. Like for example, Senator McCain, Senator Graham, uh, who are openly critical to, 
to Mr. Kamini's place, and so there will be blacklists. The next step uh, is institutions. Uh, first, you pick the people, and then you try to model the institutions going towards your government. Uh, lately, with a Muslim ban, uh, a federal judge in the United States uh, declared illegal. I'm very sure that he is going to start uh, using his, his rhetoric, his America First rhetoric, uh, bashing institutions who don't put America first, right? So that's something that you could probably expect, and so on. And I think the United States has very strong institutions, but you also see how uh, people who should be uh, resisting uh, Trump policies because they are not ideolog ideologically uh, uh, on tune with them, just kind of being quiet. You have Paul Ryan, you have uh, the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, you have Mike Pence, you have people like Michael, Marco Rubio, like Mr. Ted Cruz, like Senator Ted Cruz, who were extremely vocal during the campaign that uh, what Trump was proposing was torture, was racism, was un-American, or was unlawful. And suddenly they're just very quiet and going along with, with, his, with his policies which is a lot of how uh, Mr. Chavez got into power in Venezuela. Because the, 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 the people from his party who, who should have been against what he was doing just kind of kept their mouth shut and, and let him work. Well, you see, uh, Republicans have traditionally been in favor of free trade. They, we always say in Mexico that you know, uh, Mexico has always done better with Republican presidents than with Democratic presidents. Ronald Reagan was a great friend of Mexico. George Bush, uh, George W. Bush was a great friend of Mexico. Uh, and then Obama and, and the Clintons, they, were, they weren't bad for Mexico, but they really never uh, looked to us too much. We always say that, that, uh, that uh, the United States has a neck problem because it can look left and right, east and west, but it really never looks up and down. Mm -hmm. Well, but uh, Clinton, we're, for we're, example, we're, signed NAFTA, which created a lot of jobs in, in the United States, although it was, Clinton, it was, it was uh, created by... Yeah. yeah, President Clinton signed NAFTA, but the whole idea came from the Reagan administration, uh, was negotiated under, under the Reagan administration, the Bush administration. Oh, I, I thought it was and uh, negotiated and created under, uh, a w, um, I'm sorry, H.W. Bush. Yes. Yeah, okay. It was. It was. It started with Reagan. Uh, then the the climax was, was was with Bush, and then it got signed into effect uh, with Clinton. No, he he he, he cooperated, but but it was never a, like a very important part uh, of his agenda. President Clinton helped bail us out after a, a very extreme uh, economic crisis, the Cuba crisis of the nineties. But don't you think that there are that are more, there are more significant checks and balances in the United States? Uh, as far as controlling the president doesn't have as much power as you'll find in Latin American countries. And I don't think necessarily the 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 Republican Congress and, and uh, House of Representatives are too keen. They might be quiet right now, but it doesn't mean they're too keen on working with Trump and just laying down and doing whatever he says. And even I, I though some people have been quiet, I've already seen like John McCain. Who's kind of who's, who's kind of a heavy hitter, at least in in the, as far as the senators, us uh, being outspoken uh, with against Trump as far as, for example, dropping the embargoes against Russia. Um, and he said he'll he'll stand uh you know against uh Trump if he if he tries to lift those those embargoes, uh, 
Um, so there is some similarities there as far as attitude. Uh, but do you think he'll get anywhere with that kind of attitude in the United States? I think he's going to try. I think he's already trying. And I hope, like you say, the checks and balances in the United States are strong enough. Uh, but each, the, the, the measures he's already been taking, for example, he banned uh, government agencies to, to disclose facts and, and research papers uh, to, to any means, be it Twitter, press, etc. And, and, and federal bureaucrats are already opening like alternative uh, EPA accounts, parks accounts, NASA accounts, uh, in order to retaliate this. And those are just very, very, very specific uh, like demagogue actions that, that take place. It's kind of like a by-the-book uh, thing. You know, Chavez did the same thing, uh, and other people in Latin America have done the, the same thing in, in Argentina and such like that. So they're trying to control information. And it's really a matter of time whether he's going to be able to do it or, or not. I'm happy to see that just really ordinary people are resistant because he, if he's given the opportunity with uh, the whole alternative facts, and that's when it gets uh, really amazing, when they start censoring people. And there's a clear attempt on his part to do that. So, and again, to play uh, devil's advocate, do you think there's is kind of a, a positive side to Trump's general policy and attitude, considering it is very much the polar opposite to Obama, which Obama was very kind of apologetic to the rest of the world, wanted to have a positive image of the United States towards the rest of the world, wanted to open up more trade. And this is not necessarily meant more, uh, you know, fruitful jobs and, and, and work for, for, for America and opening too much the, uh, immigration and all that. And it seems Trump is is a 180 towards the other side and is, you know, has the attitude of America first, limiting immigration, bringing back jobs to the United States. So even though it's to an extreme, do you think that there there could be positive aspects to that new attitude that thinks of America first before just trying to have a positive image at all costs to the American worker? I think when Mr. Trump, his objectives, you really can uh, not agree with him. In order of bringing back jobs and such, I think the way he's going about them uh, isn't the best the best idea. And I think the way he's using the American first rhetoric is can be weaponized in, in, in a sense, you know, to to attack people who aren't willing to comply uh, or who aren't willing to bend the law or to sometimes frankly break the law in order for him to to implement his policies. On, on a positive note, I think it's going to be a very important test for American uh, democracy uh, to resist four years of this way. And for Mexico, the positive note is that he's making us really get our act together and kind of start diversifying our economy and, and, and making the, the interior economy a lot, uh, a lot stronger. And I really hope it's, it's the job we need to, to really get moving on, on those issues. So I'm kind of interested in uh, hearing more about like the Me Mexican perspective on these things. Let's say Trump gets what he wants in general. Let's say he he drops really hard, you know, limitations on immigration. He builds a wall. He, you know, hikes up uh, taxes. Uh, he, he limits more trade between uh, the United States and Mexico. Let's say all these things start happening over the course of the next one to two years. 
Uh, how do you see the political situation and the social social situation in Mexico happening? It, are they going to lean, lean towards more nationalism, look for new openings and new trades with other countries? Um, how And also limiting immigration, does that cause a different social dynamic in Mexico? Yes, no, if, if Trump implements everything what they're doing, including the tariffs, etc., Mexico is going to be very uh, politically... I don't want to say unstable, but but active. Right, right now, I, I honestly don't know if we're going to lean left or, or lean right. Right now, the top two contenders for the uh, 2018 election are, on one hand, uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador, which is a, a left-leaning, also very nationalist, uh, protectionist uh, candidate, and uh, the right-leaning uh, Margarita Zavala, which is President Calderón's uh, wife, ex-President Calderón's wife, and, and a couple of other players on the on the on the right, and it's basically a 50-50 split uh, between uh, between the left and the right. So that that's going to be very um, interesting to see how it goes. Economically, I think Mexico is its only choice is to is to really diversify. Uh, China has been very active in wanting to take a leadership role in in the TPP, so that's always going to be uh, uh, an option. And then European countries have also said that they would be uh, very willing to to trade with Mexico. And, and then there's also the whole uh, Latin America uh, market that, that's that's very decimated that could be brought into auction. Uh, I think Bolivia has already offered to uh, replace the corn that we could be buying from the United States uh, and start buying a food from from Latin America. So it's going to be. It's going to be interesting, but I really hope it, it doesn't have to get to that because it wouldn't be the best option for Mexico or the United States. Yeah, definitely. Is there any last thing you wanted to add as far as your vision for Mexico or uh, tr Trump and his relation to Mexico? Yeah, mm -hmm. I would love to add the, the, on, on immigration. I think it's very important for people in the United States to, to understand the value of immigrants. It, it's very hard. For, for any person to say that, that undocumented uh, workers should be accepted uh, in any country, because it, it frankly is, it is, it is illegal. You know? uh, the United States and Mexico have the problem, Europe, Europe has the problem, etc. So the, the, the humane argument can only, get you, can only get you so far. I think we have to look at immigration as a little bit like the drug policy, that it's, it's, a, it's an event that's going to happen whether it's illegal or not, kind of like the consumption of, of marijuana. So, so you can either look at it objectively and, and legislate according to, to the supply and demand economy that's there, or you can kind of push it out the way the, the, way the United States uh, made drugs illegal for so many years and just realize that it's eventually not going to work and it's better to just have a, a legal framework that can make, that can turn into a positive thing. That it kind of already is. The, the Hispanic uh, economy of the United States is worth over a trillion dollars. And each immigrant that goes over there is a, is a new consumer. So there's not really a net loss economically. And just kind of handle it more like an economic issue um, and not so much a, a, a psychological or, or emotional issue that it's really becoming. Uh, and that would be a very important part of a new uh, Mexico-United States relationship. 
Uh, I, let me uh, add one more question in from what you were talking about there that I think is interesting is what do you think will happen, let's say, if Trump also gets a harder control on immigration on the border and that leads to a lot less of the crossing of illegal drugs and narcotics? What's going to happen with the situation with the narcos, los narcotraficantes? Um, in in Mexico itself, if if they start uh, um, you know to to bleed money and start losing money uh, from this, will the situation get worse or better uh, between the government and the narcos in in Mexico? I think that that Trump's immigration policy is going to have very little effect on on the drug cartels. I think that if anything, they're already planning to see how they're going to do it with tunnels or with mules or with uh, by ship, I mean, they have very elaborated uh, ways to, to cross drugs over the border. I mean, there's already a fence on, on a lot of parts of the border. So I don't think that's really going to be affected by, by the so-called law. I think the best thing to do to avoid illegal drug trafficking is have an immigration reform so you know that the people who walk in certain doors are, are, are illegal and everyone else is probably up to no good. But that's that's a little hard to you know. Uh, in Mexico, the the drug cartels are also. I mean, they really haven't gotten uh, any better to say to say. I think we have to focus on that internally, uh, legalize marijuana, and find ways to to have a better police and not so much a military war uh, on drugs. Treat it more like a security issue and not a not a trafficking issue. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Roberto, for joining me. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Yeah, it was very interesting to hear from the, the Mexican perspective. And uh, yeah, uh, you're, feel free to come back again sometime. Thanks a lot. Have yeah. a very nice day. You too.